There are more than 20,000 stillbirths in the U.S. each year. This heartbreaking and painful fact is often chalked up as just an inevitable tragedy to parents who go through it. But research suggests this isn't always the case. As many as one in four stillbirths could be preventable, meaning thousands of babies could be delivered safely if certain measures are taken. So what's getting in the way? Here to tell us more is Dua Aldeeb. She's a reporter for ProPublica and recently investigated this issue. Welcome back to Reset, Dua. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us is Dr. Bob Silver. He's a leading stillbirth expert and a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah. Great to have you, doctor. Thanks for having me. Dua, I'll start with you. What made you start looking into this issue? I actually stumbled upon it by accident. I was working on a story about the the delayed effects of the pandemic, and someone mentioned that they were seeing a rise in stillbirth numbers. And I was surprised. I didn't know that stillbirths were still happening. And so when I started reporting on it, I was shocked to learn that more than 20,000 stillbirths occurred in the U.S. every year. Yeah, and you share some truly heart-wrenching stories from parents who experienced a a stillbirth. Um, Tell us more about their stories. They were absolutely devastating. I think that's something else that I learned as I was reporting this is just how crushing, how gutting it is for these mothers. Oftentimes, they have no idea there's anything wrong. Their pregnancy is progressing without any complications. They have their nurseries set up at home. They go to the hospital or, you know, the weeks leading up to their delivery, and they think that they're going to bring home a baby only to find out that their heartbeat has stopped and their baby has died and they have to deliver their dead baby. So it's just one of the most devastating um, things that could ever happen to a person. Yeah, truly. Dr. Silver, I think many listeners have an idea of what a stillbirth is, uh, but remind us, what's the medical definition of a stillbirth? You know, there's there are variable definitions used throughout the world, and, you know, for families, any loss is, is emotionally impactful. But the definition used uh, in the United States is uh, the, the death of a, a fetus, um, before birth, prior uh, to after uh, 20 weeks gestation, and and that's the most commonly used definition in the United States. And doctor, you were part of a study showing that as many as one in four stillbirths in the U.S. are preventable. Can you tell us more about this study and and what you found? You bet. You know, I think it's really important to note that uh, what is a preventable stillbirth is somewhat subjective. And ideally, we'd like all stillbirths to be preventable. Um, but we set out to make a very conservative definition. Mm-hmm. And, and in thinking about how to prevent stillbirths, um, there are certain stillbirths that in theory could be prevented with the knowledge that we already have if we simply provided perfect medical care to, to everyone using what we already know. And then there are other stillbirths that we likely have to do additional research and gain new knowledge um, in order to prevent. So we did a national study of stillbirth, and then we used a very conservative definition um, wherein we defined preventable stillbirths as those uh, that could be prevented if we simply did what we already know know how to do based on current knowledge. And, and that's how we came up with that 25%. But 
Aspirationally, it would be even more than that. That's a very conservative estimate. Talk about that a little bit more of um, of having that conservative definition and, and things that doctors already know how to do. What would that look like from um, a patient's point of view? Well, I think there, there are so many aspects uh, into uh, implementing uh, optimal care. And so it would be patients being educated uh, about their own health so that they could reduce risk factors for, for, for stillbirth all patients having access and and then accessing really good care and then clinicians providing that that really good care mm-hmm. uh, and then having the resources to to do so both for the patients and for the clinicians and and do you mention in your article that other causes of infant mortality have received federal attention but stillbirth has not why is that the case that's the million dollar question um, I think what my reporting has shown is that the U.S. simply has not prioritized stillbirth prevention. There hasn't been a comprehensive approach. There have been some piecemeal efforts here and there, the CDC, the NIH, um, but nothing like what we've seen in some of our wealthy peer countries uh, where they've launched action plans and they've looked at their stillbirth rates and said in no uncertain terms, this is unacceptable, we're going to do something about it. I mean, something even as simple as, like, what, what's listed on the National Health Agency website. So if you go to, like, the U.K., for example, they'll list steps that pregnant people can take to reduce their stillbirth risk. You know, don't smoke, sleep on your side, call your doctor immediately if the baby's movements have reduced or changed. And then you look at the CDC section under what can be done, and it's talking about how the CDC is working to learn more about who might have a stillbirth and why and how that information can be used to develop recommendations and policies. So there's a stark difference in terms of research, um, just kind of this, this national will, this national prioritization of stillbirth reduction in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, and, and you, know, you obviously reported on other countries that have uh, success in dramatically reducing the rate of stillbirths. Uh, what, what are some other examples that, that you've seen um, have been successful in those countries? So the Netherlands, for example, um, is a leader in this. Um, the U.K., Australia just recently launched um, a whole uh, action plan and, uh, you know, multi uh page plan with like specific um, measures that they're going to be studying and watching. I think one of the the challenges that I heard here is just that we don't have the research. And, and Dr. Silver can probably talk about this a little bit more as a researcher and as someone who is familiar with what's happening in these other countries. Yeah, Dr. Silver, do you, uh, can you add? You bet. I, I think uh, it it hasn't been a, a priority for for our country, and it's hard to say exactly why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in in part uh, some of the the impact is is hidden. And if there's a a, a sick newborn um, who suffers medical problems, there's a clear cost to society and a reminder of the emotional impact. Um, and it's been a little bit more hidden with with, with stillbirth. And I, I think that advocacy um, and awareness are, are really important. And I think a, a lot of patients and families that have suffered this have been terrific with their advocacy. And patients um, advocating for this have raised awareness both with our 
politicians and also with the National Institutes of Health. And I think that's prompted additional research in, in this. And, I, and so I think that's been very successful um, and, and we have uh, room for, for improvement. If you look at our stillbirth statistics, we, we do a lot better than many countries in the world, but we're a lot worse than other countries with similar resources. Yeah. Uh, we typically tend to be about 25th or, or 40th best in, in the world. And there are many other countries with far fewer resources that do better. And it's hard to know which strategy has been most effective in these other countries because they're using a multi-pronged approach. They're they're putting more money into the clinical care, into evaluations of, of, of stillbirth so that, that they could uh, figure out what happened and what could be done better mm -hmm. to providing emotional support for, for parents, to providing education for clinicians and for patients, uh, and also for research. And all those things in combination have caused dramatic reductions in other high-income countries, and we just haven't done the same thing. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Susie Annan for Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're discussing why the number of stillbirths remains so high in the U.S. when many could be prevented. I'm joined by Dua Al-Dib, a reporter for ProPublica who has been investigating the issue, and Dr. Bob Silver, professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah. And doctor, um, what do we know about measures to help parents avoid having a stillbirth? You know, that's really hard to study, but there have been studies that have been done in, in the UK and Australia. And so educating patients to, number one, avoid risk factors, things like smoking and nutrition, mm -hmm. obtaining good prenatal care. So, you know, watching blood pressure and, and fetal growth and ultrasounds and those kinds of things. Those things are terribly important. And then especially educating patients regarding uh, fetal movement and, and if there are changes in fetal movement to seek medical care. Um, and, and then we're developing new strategies uh, that, that are, are currently um, under investigation. But induction of labor, uh, once the baby is fully developed, has the potential to dramatically re reduce stillbirths. Mm. So educating patients to have these discussions with their clinicians uh, I think is really important. Another thing that I would really like to emphasize is there really have, have are, are quite a lot of disparities in stillbirth. There are certain groups of, of disadvantaged individuals yeah. with, with fewer resources and less education, and stillbirth rates are higher. And part of, of that has to do with access to care, and part of it has to do with risk factors. But part of it has to do with, with, with feeling like they can speak up and communicate with their providers and, and feeling heard. Uh, and we really need to help patients feel comfortable in, in, in doing that with the medical system. And, and hopefully that will further reduce stillbirths. Yeah. And Dua, in your reporting, you point out that um, hospitals and doctors often fail to educate parents about things like the importance of fetal movement. Um, tell us more about what you found. That's something that I heard over and over in my interviews with mothers who've had a stillbirth. Um, you know, the first thing was that they didn't know stillbirth happened until it happened to them. So it was just something that was so shocking. They didn't know what the warning signs were that they should be looking for when they were pregnant. Um, and like Dr. Silver said, you know, even if they did feel like something was off, they didn't feel comfortable speaking, calling the doctor or the hospital, or sometimes when they did, they felt that they were ignored or dismissed or even sent home. 
Um, so I think the first thing is, right, right, just just being educated, knowing that this is a possibility. And, you know, and I talked to a number of doctors who said, yes, well, of course, we talk to our patients about fetal movement, but there's a disconnect there because in the doctor's mind, doctors who, you know, who have been practicing for years and who have seen this, they, they assume that mothers know that, yes, of course, you know that even after you pass the miscarriage risk, you know, three months, there's still a possibility that your baby can die. But the mothers that I talked to said, that that was not a possibility that even crossed their mind. You know, by the time they were, you know, 36, 37 weeks, their worst case scenario was either the baby was going to be a preemie or they were going to have to do a C-section. But they didn't know that, for example, when the doctor mentioned in passing, you know, oh, you know, is, is, is the baby moving? Everything good with the baby? They didn't really fully grasp what that meant mm. and how important it was for them to speak up if there was a change in movement. Well, Dr. Silver, um, you know, what what can be done for uh, doctors to listen more to patients' concerns? Uh, does there need to just be more communication on both sides, um, more training on the doctor's end? Um, what needs to be done? I think there needs to be more, more training on, on the doctor's end. And, and uh, this is something that I've really learned uh, the hard way. I, I felt uncomfortable talking about stillbirth to patients because I was worried that I would create anxiety mm. and and cause stress when stillbirth is a rare thing and you don't. And I mentioned that to some families and and they were offended. They're you know listen you don't trust me to handle bad news. I'd rather know and I want to do anything I can to have a healthy baby. Uh, and so I think all of us as providers have to learn from our patients. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in the seconds we have left, Doctor, moving forward, what's a realistic goal for reducing stillbirths in the U.S.? I think we, we should unequivocally aspire to reduce stillbirths by a third. Mm -hmm. And I think that's realistic based on numbers from other countries. That's still not as good as some other countries with similar resources, but we should certainly aspire to do as well as other countries with similar resources. We've been speaking with Dr. Bob Silver, professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah and ProPublica reporter Dua Aldib. You can read her story about stillbirths in the U.S. at ProPublica.org. Thank you both for your time.